to a Hope 103.2 podcast. Hello and welcome to Australia's Invisible History, the podcast where we make the invisible visible. I'm Katrina Rowe, a Sydney-based broadcaster, author and storyteller. So many of us in Australia don't know our own history. Many of the stories of Australia's heroes, pioneers and visionaries have been buried. We don't know their stories. We don't even know their names. In this podcast, we want to dig up their stories and light up their names, make them visible again. We hope as you hear their stories that you'll be inspired to join in the work of making the invisible visible. Today we're travelling to a sugar farm in Bundaberg, where Fighting Mackenzie grew up after emigrating from Scotland at the age of 15. His story takes him all the way to Gallipoli, where he served as a chaplain in the First World War. There was a baptism of fire for everybody. They landed and they wondered, what do we do now? But they very, very quickly found themselves uh, right in the front line, dragging injured men back or carrying stretchers or helping in the hospitals praying with the men, having to bury the men, writing letters home for the men or writing letters home to families who lost uh, loved ones and so on. So they, they found a very, very important and pivotal role doing just about anything that came to hand. Mackenzie, of course, was in right in the front line and at Lone Pine, he actually went over the top with the men carrying a shovel apparently and uh, he said, I'm not going to sit here in the trench while you go and do the hard work, I'm going with you. So... They were men of courage and the men certainly respected them. The Salvation Army chaplain became a legend and was at one time considered the most famous man in Australia. Well, I think because he was a big man, he was strong, he had a working class, well, working background, rural working, sugarcane farming. So when he hit the deck in Egypt, he could sort of, he enjoyed in the exercises and he could outmarch, march, out-dig, out-shoot a lot of the men. And, uh, and he was a pretty good fighter. He flattened a few guys, so that, that sort of spoke to that, the, the rough side of the men. And uh, they respected him. Dr Paul Rowe is the Outback historian. He is a storyteller from the back of Burke who wants to help us understand our shared heritage. And together we're uncovering the stories of some remarkable but not always well-known Australians. Today we're going back to the First World War to meet a man who was at one time the most famous person in Australia, a Salvation Army chaplain known as Fighting Mackenzie. Good morning, Paul. Hey, Katrina, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. So we're going back to 1914 when World War One hit and many church ministers had to make the leap from speaking from the pulpit to a polite congregation to suddenly living in army camps full of men who may not have even been comfortable with or interested in church. So it must have been a big change. How did they cope with that? Well, it was a big shock. Most of them were educated men, used to sort of an organised congregational sit setting and they found themselves thrust into a very intense sort of situation with men in camp preparing to become soldiers. Um, most of those men, like you said, were, were working men uh, and not really used to going to church. 
And neither the church nor the army really knew what to do with chaplains. Nobody really thought much about it. And when they showed up, they, they said, oh, well, I don't know, work it out for yourself, which is pretty much what they had to do. So when they travelled to Egypt on the ships, that's, that was where they broke themselves in. I think they had a chance to get to know the men and look past all the, the rough behaviour and got to like them and began to organise activities for them on the ship even down to sports and entertainment. It was good for both sides. The men began to understand the chaplains and the chaplains began to understand the men. So it did them all good that sort of period. And so when they arrived in Egypt, they were sort of, they'd built some sort of rapport, I think. And what did they find in Egypt? Well, in Egypt, they arrived in Cairo, which is something of a a model city. And they, they let the men loose at night on the weekends and so on. And so it wasn't long before there were big problems with men in the brothels and bars and things. And the army had a serious problem with VD raging and things like that and bad reports getting back to Australia. Oddly enough, that was the Padres that sort of went into bat for them and said, look, this is not fair to let these boys just loose. You've got to do more for them than that. You've got to provide things for them to do. Mackenzie, of course, was famous for tearing into the brothels and, uh, and pulling the men out and giving them a good solid lecture about what would your mother think or your wife or your sister. And so he became a bit of a legend. You know, and they reckon he might have even done some good. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit more about fighting Mackenzie? Like why did he come to be regarded as such a hero? Well, I think because he was a big man, he was strong. He had a working class, well, working background, rural working, sugarcane farming, um, so when he hit the deck in Egypt, he could sort of he enjoyed in the exercises, and he could outmarch, outdig, outshoot a lot of the men, and he was a pretty good fighter. He flattened a few guys, so that, that sort of spoke to that the, the rough side of the men, and uh, they respected him because he had strong opinions about drinking and so on. But um, he backed it up with a compassion and a real care for them. So I think, you know, he wasn't like the parson in the pulpit; he was one of them, and yet he could speak with the spiritual authority. And then, so after Cairo, he, like many other chaplains, ended up at Gallipoli, which is such a a big story, I guess, in the life of our nation. What role did the chaplains play there at Gallipoli? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was a baptism of fire for everybody. They landed and they wondered, what do we do now? Um, You can't sort of pull up a pulpit and start a sermon. But they very, very quickly found themselves uh, right in the front line dragging injured men back or carrying stretchers or helping in the hospitals, praying with the men, having to bury the men, writing letters home for the men or writing letters home to families who lost uh, loved ones and so on. So they, they found a very, very important and pivotal role doing just about anything that came to hand. Mackenzie, of course, was in right in the front line and at Lone Pine he actually went over the top with the men carrying a shovel, apparently, and uh, he said, I'm not going to sit here in the trench while you go and do the hard work. I'm going with you. So uh, I think there were two two padres, a Methodist and a Presbyterian, who were actually shot dead out there in uh, Lone Pine in no man's land trying to drag in a, a British soldier who was injured. So they were men of courage, and the men certainly respected them. You can only imagine that if they went in and were fighting with the men that would have earned the respect, were they quite highly regarded by the troops? Yeah, the reports, Katrina, were, were very strong, both from the officers who saw their behaviour and, and, and appreciated, began to appreciate what a powerful and important role they played. In fact, by the Second World War, Field Marshal Montgomery was famous for saying, I won't go into battle without my artillery or my chaplains. Mm. So their role as sort of spiritual encouragers, uh, compassionate men, caring men and willing to do anything 
that's the sort of stamp they put on their role as chaplains in the army and gave them quite a, a high standing. And the men, of course, appreciated them so much when they came home. You can only imagine that it must have had a big impact on them, these experiences, particularly at Gallipoli. What sort of toll did those experiences have on fighting Mackenzie and the other chaplains? Absolutely. I mean, it was a baptism of fire. 60,000 men landed there, 27,000 casualties, and there were about four or 500 padres having to cope with all that. It was a massive job, and nobody, as I said, had scripted it for them, so they just had to invent it. And they carried so much of the pain. They saw so many shattered bodies, and there are reports of chaplains just breaking down in tears, watching these poor shattered boys uh, sitting with them as they died and so on. So when they returned home, they weren't bulletproof. They weren't supermen. Even Mackenzie came home with PTSD, and a number of other chaplains said they never could never forget the terrible things they'd seen. But more than that, I think what Sean was there, the courage of the men inspired them and that they just loved those men and said they were they were phenomenal, these young soldiers who would say, Padre, don't worry about me, look after this bloke over here. So they were the memories they brought back with them, I think. Mm, and I know that Fighting Mackenzie went on to have a, a much longer ministry with the Salvation Army in Australia yep. when he returned as well. Well, he was famous because he couldn't even walk down George Street without it took him forever because everybody wanted to shake his hands. Huge crowds turned out to greet him. So he was the hero of the day. It's amazing. Mm. Thanks for sharing his story. Thank you. That is the Outback historian, Dr. Paul Rowe, and we've been talking about Fighting Mackenzie, the most famous of the chaplains who served at Gallipoli. You can read more about him in the book Fighting Mackenzie and Zach Chaplin by Cole Stringer, and you can find Paul Rowe online at theoutbackhistorian.com.au. Thanks for listening to Australia's Invisible History, the podcast where we make the invisible visible. In Episode 7, we meet Meg Mackay, an adventurous bush nurse who set off on patrol with her husband through outback Queensland. They camped in their swags, made their dinner over an open fire and travelled wherever they were needed. It's quite a romantic story too. Yep, they shared life as a young married couple. They had a swag that was their honeymoon suite, if you like, and uh, took the ute and off they went into the outback, serving the people of the outback. And not many people, I think, would take on a task like that, covering hundreds and then thousands of miles to remote families, remote places, just out of love for the people and love for God. And uh, it's a great story. And as you said earlier, she, she did it for no payment all those years. She served the people and didn't take a cent. Meg's life can be summed up by the word dedicated. Her parents dedicated her to the work of John Flynn, even before she was born. We'll share her story in Episode 7 of Australia's Invisible History. I hope you'll join us. If you've enjoyed this episode of Australia's Invisible Histories, please do subscribe and share among your friends so we can keep telling the stories. Plus, you can find more details and useful links in the show notes. Hope 1032. Thanks for listening.